You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome to episode 606 of the Sonic Society, the world's greatest showcase of modern audio theater. I'm Jack Ward, rushing through this introduction. <laughs> and I'm David Alt. Jack, am I correct in thinking that we have chronospheric fiction today with a bursting two episodes of Jop's Folly, number one and two? That's right, David. And as usual, it all begins right here. On the Sonic Society. Hi, everybody. Garbanzo here. I'm in this docking bay doing some repairs to the chronosphere and I thought it'd be a good opportunity to walk around and meet some other pilots of the spectral streams. Here comes someone now. So hey man, tell us about yourself. My name is Aaron Corbett and I want to let you know about my show called Your Three Stories Podcast. We produce weird and funny audio drama stories in series of three. Here are a few examples of what you will hear. The first clip is from our financial crisis series and is called The Search for Gold. In this story, three treasure hunters dig for more than they bargained for. Sam, is there any sort of curse we should be worried about with this treasure? Some treasures have evil curses attached to them and people look for the treasure and end up dying. You didn't say anything about there being a curse, Sam. How could you do this to us, Sam? There is no curse. Are you sure? Maybe this treasure carries a curse, but since nobody found it, then nobody knows about the curse. We could be the first to die. Our second example is from our Technical Difficulties series and is called Super Secret Super Soldier. Charlotte Drake, a brilliant scientist, attempts to create a super soldier for the United States government, only to find out that not everything goes as planned. Project Nightcrawler is a complete success. Look! He's getting up. He can't even stand. His leg just fell off. I'll sew that back on after lunch. Everyone be quiet. He's going to say his first words. You can listen to more at our website, www.your3stories.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Here comes another meat bad pilot. So, buddy, what do you got going on out here? Hey there, audience. I'm Dan Knight. And I'm Thomas Towson. And we also do one of those podcast things. Yep. It's called Bannerbox Radio, and some have described it using words such as funny, relatable, and weekly. Weekly? I, I mean, I guess that's accurate. It's not really a good show descriptor, though. Oh, really? And if you were to choose a word to describe Bannerbox, what might that word be? Hmm. Flavorful. Why would... Oh, God. Just like the flavorful taste of Zataran's products. Get that authentic Cajun flavor of jambalaya or red beans and rice in your mouth. Hot and ready in ten minutes or less. You know, we're supposed to be promoting our show, right? Look, I gotta look out for my interests. And that means the delicious taste of Zatarans. Okay, well, while you're eating it, feel free to have a listen to Bannerbox Radio. We can be found on iTunes and some other random places online, too. 
can also listen at GhostShipRadio.com if you prefer. Feel the Cajun explosion in your mouth. Please stop. Just goes to show you never know who you're going to meet while you're traveling the spectral streams. Well, my repairs are done. Let's get the chronosphere back out there in the spectral streams. Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your pilot, Daniel French. This Journey's Bubbleverse is brought to you by writer Patrick Edwards. And his story is Jop's Folly. It's a pretty big bubbleverse. It's going to take a long time to traverse. We're going to split the first crossing into two trips so we can have some refueling time. Speaking of fuel, I could use a little help paying for it out there, you guys. Go to patreon.com slash chronosphere and kick in a little for us, would you? Now, we give to you Jop's Folly. Hit the skids, you drunk! Jop jumped back just in time to avoid the flailing body being hurled into the street. The body landed with a splash in a muddy puddle. Jop looked up at the figure who'd done the hurling, whose hulking frame looked to be made completely of stone. The figure looked that way because he was, of course, a crag lad, a race of anthropomorphic rock people. He noticed Jop and spoke in a gravelly voice. What's the word, Jay? Hey, Micah. The rock man held the door open. Coming in? In a minute, buddy. Sure thing. I'll make sure there's room at the bar for you. As Micah dipped back inside the establishment known as Comet's Cocktails, Jop caught her own reflection in the mirrored paneling. The visage staring back at her stood just about five feet and was sporting pale yellow skin, a wide nose, and two short nodes protruding from a bare scalp. She'd put on a few pounds since dropping out of the academy. She was still a handsome specimen of the mighty Yablon race. At least in her own mind. Your mother was a pebble, cried a voice from behind her. Jop turned around to see the formerly flailing body sitting upright in the puddle. Underneath the fine layer of mud, Jop could make out the jolly frog-like features of a bog tech. You're a little late on the comeback, pal. The big guy already went back in. Figures. Damn craggy's always making trouble. We should be turning them into buildings, not, not giving them jobs. At the end of his blubbery green arm, a white card was clasped in his pudgy fingers. He raised it up. My money's just as good as any damn craggy's. Jop stepped off the curb and walked up to the slovenly creature sitting in front of her. I hear you, pal. These damn rock brains think they're as sentient as the rest of us. Tell you what, loan me a couple pecks and I'll go buy us some ales. The bog tech's head nodded, causing two of his chins to bounce. Sounds good. Jop snatched the card. Thanks, pal. I'll be right back. You should get some rest. Within a few seconds, the bog tech was curled up in the muddy puddle, snoring loudly. Jop slid the door open, letting the din of music and drunken chatter wash over her and the sleeping drunkard. 
she pushed through the crowd and pulled herself up to an empty seat at the bar. The bartender, a six-foot-tall beetle, walked over and snapped. We don't serve scrog bags like you in my place. You know, your cousin told me the same thing this morning, right before I scraped him off my boot. They stared unblinkingly at each other for a few long seconds. Then in unison, their hard stares dissolved into laughter. Good to see you, Jop. What'll you have? Said the insectoid woman. Planisi ale, and keep them coming. I'm celebrating tonight, replied Jop as she slapped down the white card. Must have been a big run, said the bartender. She kept wiping down the counter with three of her hands, while the fourth picked up the white card. It had 100 displayed on a small digital screen. A hundred Italians is worth celebrating? Times must be rough. Ha! Nah, that ain't my bonus. I swiped that from the racist yawk that Mike just bounced out of here. The bartender's mandibles again clicked with laughter. Serves him right. He was getting a little handsy with the other primates. So what are we celebrating tonight? I just hauled a thousand tons of biotech across the Krebdo system in less than a week. The bartender set a green bottle in front of Jop, who picked it up. Thanks, Hale. No problem. So, I don't mean to be sticking my antenna where they don't belong, but you've made runs like that before. What's so special this time? I've just been given my first Tier 9 job. Hale made a sound not unlike whistling. Tier 9? So when will you decide you're too good to drink in a dump like this? <laughs> I've always been too good for this dump. And besides... She paused to watch Micah pull apart two anthropomorphic balls of fur who were in the midst of a physical disagreement. She looked back to Hale. This place has way too much charm. <laughs> oh, sure. We're just bursting with class. She accented the point by spitting a foamy white substance onto the floor. Say, where is your brother? Bop's not feeling well. Hey, I'll be right back. I gotta go refill around for these yak knockers. She jerked a claw back towards a group of reptilian Sureshi, whose python-like heads were huddled close in clandestine conversation. Jop took a sip from her bottle and spun around on her stool to scan the motley assortment of bar patrons. Two Dronlins, walking hulks of red muscle, were chatting up a table of female Pazuru, humanoids with multicolored jigsaw-patterned skin. A healthy portion of the crowd noise was coming from a group of her fellow Yablons in the throes of a serious bender. Dozens of empty bottles littered their table, as well as the nearby floor. Two of their party, however, were less interested in drinking and more focused on seeing how far they could shove their tongues down each other's throats. She saw a cluster of Kapua, sparkling, glowing clouds. Jop spent a minute pondering the logistics of how a sentient ball of gas would get drunk. In the corner was a table full of talls, lean seven-footers, their long purple heads tilted back as they chugged from glass mugs. Probably junior executives from Prime Partners the ruling conglomerate on this planet. The trust fund crew is slumming it tonight. Jop quipped to no one in particular. Maybe daddy cut off the credit feed and this is the only place they can afford with their actual salaries. Said a sultry voice to Jop's left. Jop chuckled and turned to find the voice's owner. 
she found herself looking into a dazzling pair of golden eyes. Attached to those eyes was a face bearing striking humanoid features and a powder blue tint. She brushed back a platinum-colored lock of hair over a pointed ear node and smiled. Jop returned the smile. The name's Jop. And you are? Oh, nice to meet you, Jop. I'm Loy. Nice meeting you, Loy. So what brings a lovely lady like you into a place like this? She snorted back a laugh. Uh, is that really the best line you can come up with? When you look this good, sweets, you don't need clever lines. Loy arched an <laughs> eyebrow. So you think you're that attractive, huh? Well, hey, you're the one who started the conversation. She gave Jop a wry smile. Fair enough. Okay, Jop, I'll tell you what. You buy me my next drink and I'll tell you exactly what a lovely lady like myself is doing in a place like this. This time it was Jop who arched an eyebrow. You've got a deal, sweets. The soft morning light shining through the bedroom window felt like a laser beam on Jop's face. She groaned as she attempted to pull herself up to a sitting position. Her head exploded in pain as the hangover took hold. Her hand fumbled along the bedside table until it closed around a small white bottle. She took out a few little green pills and popped them into her mouth. The nightstand was unfortunately devoid of any consumable liquid. Jop grimaced as she choked the pills down dry. Can I have some of those? Asked a voice to her left. Jop whipped her head around to see Loy looking up at her. She rubbed her eyes to make sure she wasn't hallucinating. When she lowered her hands, Loy was still there. Uh, hey. Well, hey yourself. Now quit holding out on me with those pain drains. Oh, sorry. Jop quickly handed her the white bottle. Oh, thanks. She said as she popped two of the green pills. Oh man, I have one dwarf star-sized headache. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, did we? Do the nebula nasty? <laughs> no, Jop. I just like sleeping naked next to strange women. Jop lifted the blanket to peer under the covers. Hey, we are naked. Damn, you're in good shape. Loy tossed a pillow at her head, which she deflected. Jop's expression got a bit more serious. So, uh, how, how was it? Oh, I'm not sure I remember. Maybe you should remind me. Twenty minutes later, Jop was humming to herself as she dried off from the Santa bath. The smell of a freshly brewed pot of Wahoo wafted into the lavatory. Jop followed the delightful scent into her rental suites kitchenette where Loy was pouring a steaming liquid into two mugs. She looked up at Jop and giggled. <laughs> nice outfit. Jop looked down to see that she was wearing nothing but a towel. If you got the goods, you might as well show them off. Loy smirked as she handed her one of the mugs. Oh, I hope you like it strong. Jop accepted the mug and inhaled deeply. She took a sip inside. Damn, that's good, Wahoo. Thanks. I thought about making us something to eat. She opened the cooler cabinet, which was completely bare. But you literally have no food. Jop scratched the back of her neck. Yeah, I spend like 90% of my time traveling. Doesn't make much sense to keep food around. Loy opened another cabinet, revealing a dozen multicolored bottles. She eyed her skeptically. Hey, food spoils. 
booze doesn't. Loy closed the cabinet and took a sip from her own mug. Damn, I do make a nice cup of wahoo. Anyway, so I assume all this traveling is for work? You got it, sweets. I'm a transport pilot for Prime Partners. Oh, is that right? Hmm, you any good? Well, today I'm picking up a Tier 9 payload. So what do you think? Hmm, I don't know what that means. Jop was confused. You live on Forza 6. So? So, this planet is the largest distribution center in the settled universe. She stuck her chin out. Only the best transporters get Tier 9 contracts. Oh, so you're the best, huh? Oh, you got it, sweets. So, where will Prime Partners' best transporter be flying off to today? I'm picking up my payload in Pa Nui. She glanced at the Gamma Cooker's universal timepiece. And shit! I'm running late. She turned to head back to the bedroom, but felt a hand grip her arm. She was surprised at the sudden emotional weight on Loy's face. Did you say you were going to Panui? Oh uh, yeah, the big city. Why? She bit her lower lip, hesitating. What? What? What is it? Well, I'm actually from Panui. It's, it's just been a really long time since I've been back. Job arched an eyebrow. You want to come with? Loy pulled back. Oh, oh no, I couldn't oppose. I mean, we just met. And are you even allowed to do that? Hell no, I'm not allowed to bring people along. I'm not allowed to drink while working either. But that doesn't mean I don't enjoy the occasional sip once in a while. You spend a long enough time in my line of work, you pick up a trick or two to get around some of the more annoying bureaucracies. <laughs> Are you sure you want me to come? Am I sure? Have you seen yourself? Yeah, I'm sure. Her pale blue cheeks flushed violet. <laughs> this is crazy. But okay, let's do it. Oh, I'd love to, but we really need to be leaving soon. Loy punched Jop in the arm. Chop had only been a half hour late arriving at dispatch. How's it you's always late to report in, but your shipment always arrives early? Asked the station boss. A being with the head of an owl and the body of a gorilla. I think it's because I'm Top's awesome. For once, her late arrival hadn't been her own fault. Loy had needed to grab a few things from her place first. As Jop piloted the Class 4 Longstrider out of Forza 6's atmosphere, Loy commented, it's almost disconcerting how easy that was. Well, I have priority clearance, and the deck chief is a buddy of mine. I slipped him a few Talians to look the other way while you boarded. Still, with the cargo being as valuable as you said it was... <laughs> oh no, we don't have the good stuff yet. We're picking it up in Pa Nui. The company's just getting a little more bang for its buck by having me drop off this load of SIM chips at one of the casinos. Which casino? Loy asked, a faint hint of trepidation creeping into her voice. Um... Jop checked her order summary. Looks like we're headed to the Gilded Vixen. She thought she saw Loy flinch at the mention of the name. But when she turned her head fully to look, Loy was all smiles. I can't believe we're doing this. She reached over and squeezed Jop's hand. Oh, thank you so much. No problem. She looked at the star-speckled canvas of space stretching out before them. <sighs> so how long will it take to get there? 
Oh, about a day. We'll hit the anomaly in 12 hours or so. Then after the jump, it's another 10 hours to the city. That's why Forza 6 is such a transport hub. It's got like three dozen anomalies within a day's flight. I've never seen one in person. An anomaly? Yep. How is that possible? I mean, you've obviously done some planet hopping. I'm not a pilot, remember? I've always been stuck back in the commuter cabin for the jumps. Oh yeah, well, you're gonna see it this time. Not that it's much to look at. I mean, it's literally nothing. Oh, I know. Obviously, I've seen pictures. I just think it's going to be exciting to watch us go through. <laughs> Whatever you say, sweets. Loy was in the middle of her fourth trip to the ship's galley when Jop's voice sounded over the calm line. You should get up here quick. We're coming up on the jump. She entered the control room and dropped down into her seat. She pulled a rations bar out of her pocket, tore off the orange wrapper, and started chewing. Jop glanced over. Another Zachiel? How do you eat so much and still look like you do? I exercise a lot. Well, did you bring me one? <laughs> no, but I brought myself a second one. Jop opened her mouth to offer a retort, but a flashing light on her console caught her eye. She tapped a few icons and the ship turned slightly to the left. She raised a stubby yellow finger and pointed. Well, there's your anomaly. Loy stared out into the vast expanse stretching before them. For the most part, it looked exactly like you'd expect a random patch of space to look. Shining white dots with the occasional swirl of color splattered across a black canvas. There was one glaring difference, however, which drew Loy's eye. Directly in front of them, some miles out, was a spot of utter blackness. Loy decided that black didn't even truly describe what she was seeing. It was a true absence of light. It was literally nothing. The spot of nothing grew larger as they approached. Loy felt the ship's speed pick up considerably. She was already reaching for the safety restraints when Jobs said, Strap in. The ship's acceleration continued to increase. The spot of nothing now covered the majority of their view. Their speed increased again. The few visible stars around the edge of their view screen began to blur. More speed. The black nothing grew and grew until it was the only thing they could see. Then Loy's vision went blank as if someone had draped a white cloth across her eyes. Her vision returned. Once again, she was looking at a normal patch of space. A sensation like static electricity rushed through her whole body. She shuddered. Oh, it's been a while since I went through a jump. I forgot about the tingling. Yeah, I barely notice it anymore. So how far did we just go? Well, if you want to get technical, we actually only traveled a few miles. That's kind of the point. Loy punched her in the shoulder. You know what I meant. Ouch. Did anyone ever teach you violence doesn't solve anything? Loy folded her arms. Jop held her hands up defensively. Okay, okay. We're about seven light years away from Forza 6. And you said it was how long until we reach Pinui? About 12 hours. This point is going to be pretty boring. I just need to run a diagnostic to make sure the jump didn't fry any of the ship's systems. There's really nothing between us and the city outskirts, so I'll probably just set the autofly. Loy gave a sly grin. Well, I'm going to head back and take a nap. Once you finish all that, you're welcome to join me. She stood up, grazed her little blue fingers against the back of Jop's neck, and headed down the hall. 
Jopp proceeded to set a company record for the fastest diagnostic scan. And that is part one of Jopp's Folly, written by Patrick Edwards. And here's your cast of voice actors. Jopp was played by Dr. Michelle Booz. Loy was Cindy Stevens. The drunken bog tech and the station boss are Van Riker. Hale the bartender is Augie Peterson, who we welcome to the Chronosphere Fiction cast. She'll be writing some for us in the future, too. Your narrator, Micah the Craggy. Production, sound design, and music were done by Daniel French. Thank you for joining us on this flight of the Chronosphere. I'm going to leave you with a promo from our new cast member, Augie Peterson. Till next time, keep your cosmos clean. Hey folks, how's it going? My name is Augie and I host a podcast called The Short Stories of Augie Peterson. Once upon a time, I had two blogs. Then one day I started listening to podcasts. They seemed like a lot of fun and would combine the thing I was always afraid to share with the world, my writing, with the thing I had no choice but to share with the world, my theater background. So I decided to combine them into a podcast for those millennials that don't have time to read two blogs. I read the original horror stories I write on Tuesdays and review really terrible horror movies with massive amounts of sass on Thursdays. On the first Saturday of each month, I tell my listeners about five new indie artists that I have interviewed that I think they should know about. So if you like dorks, horror, and indie artists, this is the podcast for you. Check out the short stories of Augie Peterson wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, check out augiepeterson.wordpress.com. Toodaloo! Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your pilot, Daniel French. On this episode, we're going to finish flying with writer Patrick Edwards in part two of Jop's Folly. This is the prequel to Patrick Edwards' book series, Space Trippin', available in audiobook, ebook, and paperback form. Please don't let it get your gander that in our prequel, Jop is a girl, while in the stories, Jop is a guy. When we left off in part one, Jop and Loy were just about to pull into Pa Nui to continue their adventure. Welcome home, sweets. Quipped Jop as the glowing mass of Pa Nui appeared ahead of them. A thousand multicolored towers huddled together atop a floating chrome hemisphere. Loy was awestruck. I grew up here, and the view still gets me every time. <laughs> I know, right? It's like a small planet. Or a large moon. After working their way through the spaceship gridlock of downtown, Jop pulled them into the massive docking hangar of the Gilded Vixen. Jop tapped away at her console, powering down the engines. Rumor has it this place is owned by some strangely flamboyant crime boss. I wouldn't know. 
Welp, let's go check in with the receivables agent to get this junk delivered. Are you sure I should come? I mean, shouldn't I just wait in here while everything is unloaded? I, I don't want to get you in trouble. The fearful undertones in Loy's words flew right over Jop's head. Why would you want to stay here? Let's go grab a drink. They're not going to care if you were with me. Did you forget the part where I said this place was owned by crooks? Are you sure I can't... I mean, shouldn't just stay here? Yes, I'm sure. We're done with this ship. We leave it here where it will get reloaded for another transporter. What about your big job? Tier 9 flies on something much bigger and nicer than this heap. She kicked the base of the control console. Now, come on. They grabbed their travel packs and headed up to the hangar deck, where a uniformed attendant was waiting. She was a silver-skinned humanoid, with ornate purple tattoos covering most of the right side of her face. You with receivables? No. I just like hanging out in casino hangars wearing this uniform and carrying this data tablet. For fun. Jop held her hands up. All right, all right. No need to get snippy. Look, I got a dung load of intake today. What's your delivery code? PPIC 00003968 The attendant tapped a few icons on her tablet. Okay, 20 million SIM chips. She held the data tablet out to Jop. Please sign off that all the cargo has arrived intact and undamaged. Jop pressed her thumb to the tablet, which flashed green. The attendant pulled the tablet back and began typing into it. After a few silent seconds, she looked up at them. You can go now. Jop opened her mouth to say something that would have likely earned her a smack across the face, were it not for the grip of Loy's hand on her arm. They gave the attendant a wide berth as they circled around the wide ramp leading out of the hangar. Jop spoke up once they reached the lobby. How about we decompress over a drink? Then you can show me your old stopping quadrant. From across the lobby, a pair of golden eyes followed the couple as they passed through the storm of light and noise that was the main gaming hall. The body attached to the eyes was an average-sized humanoid with steely blue skin and closely cropped yellow hair. After watching the couple enter the bar, he pulled a mobile comm line from his pocket. Hey, let me get two Flanese ales over here. Jop's latest attempt to get the bartender's attention went unnoticed, as he was too busy schmoozing a trio of insectoid women. Having a little trouble? Teased a voice from behind Jop. Jop ignored the voice and shouted. Come on, man, the bug babes aren't going anywhere. Give me a drink. She got no reaction. I might be able to help. Jop started to turn around. Oh, yeah? And how would you... She found herself staring into the violet-hued cleavage of a tall woman. Her gaze eventually found its way up her seven-foot frame to the two oval-shaped eyes set amidst her elongated head. She brushed a pink hair tentacle back over her ear and smiled down at Jop. Watch this. She leaned forward and winked, at whom Jop had no idea. Then she let her hand dangle over the bar, putting her brilliantly bejeweled data bracelet on display. Within seconds, a bartender materialized in front of them. What can I get ya? I'd like a Cosmos. She canted her head toward Jop. And my friend here would like a pair of Flanese Ales. The bartender looked at Jop as if she'd just appeared out of thin air. He quickly retrieved two bottles and slid them over to Jop. He then began mixing the bevy of ingredients that Jop guessed went into a cosmos. 
Jop held up a plain white currency card. Uh, thanks for the help. I can pick up this round. She smirked and waggled her wrist. The one that bore the electronic bangle crusted with gems. That's okay, my little wad of glucosamine. It's on me. Yeah, I thought that might be one of them monarchy-grade DBs. She looked at her own data bracelet, standard-issue matte black. You can't just get one, right? You have to be invited. The towel woman winked at her, but didn't say anything. Doesn't it require a net worth of at least, like, I don't know, 10 million tellians? 15, actually. Damn. Looks and money. It'd be a tragedy if you turned out to have a shit personality. Only one way to find out. You should probably start by asking me my name. A canned pickup line leapt to the edge of Jop's tongue, but she caught herself before any words escaped her lips. She scratched the back of her head and said, Some other time. Jop snatched up the two ales and shrugged. Thanks again. Are you fucking kidding? The woman started, but Jop was already weaving her way through the crowd. She had made it about halfway when she stopped, looked back at the towel woman and thought, What the hell is wrong with me? She turned forward and caught a glimpse of Lois sitting in a booth. She smiled. Oh, yeah. The crowd parted a bit more, revealing that Loy was not alone. Sitting across from her was a male of her same race. The Vanovan man had steel blue skin and closely cropped yellow hair. They seemed very engaged in their conversations, so much so that neither noticed Jop until she set the drinks down on the table with an audible thud. The man glared up at her. Jop smiled back, then to Loy. Who's your friend? If she was at all uncomfortable, she didn't show it. Jop, this is Yurf. We know each other from the old neighborhood. Jop gave Yurf the biggest smile she could. Nice to meet you, pal. Yurf was just leaving. A few quiet moments passed awkwardly while Yurf glanced back and forth between Loy's icy stare and Jop's exaggerated grin. He slowly pushed himself to a standing position. To Loy, he said, We'll catch up later. He gave Jop a once-over and then stomped away. Jop dropped down to Yurf's vacated seat. She grabbed one of the bottles and took a long pull. Loy stared at the table, not meeting her eyes. Jop finally broke the awkward silence. So your ex-boyfriend seems like kind of a dick. <laughs> he wishes. Yurf and I grew up together here in the little Vinova district. Rough area. Only for outsiders. But I'll protect you. Oh, well, lucky me. Pa Nui has no atmosphere, as it's essentially a colossal floating space station. The buildings are connected to each other by a honeycomb of enclosed causeways, biodomes, and tram lines. In an effort to combat citizen claustrophobia, the average causeway is actually three stories tall and as wide as an eight-lane road. Jop and Loy were strolling down a causeway that had been designed to resemble a garden. Rows of trees and colorful flowers lined the footpath, and the ceiling was clear so as to provide a view of the twinkling starscape. Jop had one arm wrapped around Loy's waist, and the other clutched a green bottle. Oh, when do we have to leave again? I have to report for pickup tomorrow at... Jop stopped talking when she saw the three figures suddenly blocking their way. They were all Venovans. The amber-haired female and the male with hair like a disheveled mop were new to Jop. She recognized the other male and plastered on her cheesiest grin. How's it going, pal? Yurf ignored her and spoke to Loy. 
I told you there'd be consequences. Consequences for what? This doesn't concern you, squib kid. Now hit the skids. What the fuck did you just call me? Loy rested a hand on Jop's shoulder to settle her. Do we really have to do this, Lannan? The mop-headed male, presumably named Lannan, stepped forward. No, we don't. You just pay us our cut and you can go. Loy spoke through gritted teeth. Like I said to Yerf, there's nothing to get a cut of. That's not what Big Baz told us. Big Baz is a big liar. Hump of shit. You get his name out of your mouth. He's done everything for us. He used us, Nath. The woman, Nath, spat. And we should believe you. What have you ever done for anyone? Besides whore around. All right, screw this. I don't care what the history is here, but you all need to back the hell off. Yurf stepped right up to Jop and leaned down. What are you going to do about it? He produced a knife in his right hand and then reached out and shoved Jop's shoulder with his left. Squib, kid. Jop took a deep breath and smirked. Yeah, I thought that's what you call me. Jop cocked back her hand that was holding the green bottle and let it fly. Yurf attempted to shield himself, but Jop hadn't been aiming for him. The bottle shattered against the side of Lannan's head and he crumpled to the ground. Before Yurf could process this, he felt Jop's shoulder driving into his gut, which sent them both tumbling. After they stopped rolling, Jop found herself on top of Yurf. Before Yurf could register what had happened, Jop gripped his collar with both hands and then drove her thick, flat forehead into the bridge of Yurf's nose. Oh. Jop blinked away stars as she climbed up off of the unconscious Vanovan. She spun around to see that Lannan, blood pouring from a gash in the side of his head, inexplicably start to get back up. Can't have that. Jop thought as she sprinted forward, but before she could get there, Loy fell upon the dazed Lannan with a flurry of quick, skilled punches. The Vanovan man returned to the ground in a limp heap. Jop skidded to a halt. Damn, that was hot. She whipped her head around, scanning for the third assailant, Nath. To her surprise, Jop found her lying on the ground, also unconscious. Jop's eyes then met Loy's and without a word, started sprinting down the causeway back the way they came. So uh, that was fun. Jop said as she handed Loy a cooling pad, which she applied to her bruised knuckles. Jop then walked over to her hotel room's bar and poured some red liquor into two glasses. She sat across from Loy at the table and slid one of the drinks over. Loy snatched up the glass and said, I, uh, suppose you want an explanation? Only if you want to give me one. Loy downed her whole drink with a grimace. We were thieves. The little Vinova district isn't exactly known for its charm and appeal. You do what you have to do to survive. The four of us survive by running scams, cons, whatever you want to call it. Big Baz was our mentor. He taught us the trade. Then one day, Baz tells us he's got a line on the big one. You know, the big score you see in every heist story that's just too good to walk away from. Well, for us, the big score was Taimana Gemstones. I was the inside man so to speak. The day comes 
and we all execute our parts perfectly. Yerfin Lannan takes care of the physical security. Nayeth takes care of surveillance. I get in the vault and... Jop was practically crawling across the table. And there's nothing there. No gemstones, no nothing. And the next thing I know, universal law enforcement agents are swarming the place. I was able to slip through the ventilation shaft and got away. But all the others got jammed up. The words start spreading through the neighborhood, and I, I cashed out big and let them all take the fall. We all know how the story ends. So I scraped together whatever savings I could and bolted. And you think this big Baz punk set you up? Loy shrugged. Who knows? She stood up and went to refill her glass. It was a mistake, me coming back here. Come with me. What? Come with me on my run. Screw this place. Come fly around the galaxy with me. Uh, how would that even work? Jop approached her and took her hand. We'll figure it out. She looked up into Loy's eyes. What do you say? Hey, sweets, you ever see anything more beautiful than that? Jop and Loy gazed up at an Infinity-class Uber-hauler spacecraft. It was as tall as a two-story building and at least 100 yards in length. Light glinted off its dark blue finish. Wow! Was all Loy could come up with. Wow is right. You're looking at the finest piece of transport tech in the known verse. The sound of boots clopping on steel made them turn around to see the approaching deck chief, a middle-aged towel with pink stubble peppering his purple face. Which one of you is Transporter Winslow? He asked without looking up from his data tablet. That'd be me. And who is this? He asked, pointing at Loy, eyes still glued to the tablet. Chop waved her over. This is my co-pilot. The deck chief finally looked away from his tablet and down at Chop. The manifest doesn't state anything about his second pilot. If you check my employment contract, it states I have the option of hiring my own co-pilot as long as the expense comes out of my fee. The tall made no effort to hide his annoyance as he tapped away on the tablet. His eyes scanned the display for a few moments, then looked skeptically from Jop to Loy. I'll need to see some credentials. Jop looked at Loy and nodded her head. She stepped forward and held out an ID badge, which the deck chief swiped across the tablet screen. After what felt like hours, but was really just a few seconds, the data tablet flashed green. The deck chief handed back the badge. Looks good. Let's just go over the route specifications and you two can be on your way. Jop mumbled under her breath. Holy shit, it worked. Which earned her a quick kick in the leg from Loy. Ow! The deck chief glanced up. What was that? Jop smiled wide. How long is this run expected to take? The estimated duration is 16 standard days. You're going to take the KED-22 anomaly, then cross the Deucon system to the research facility on Everon's moon. Great, and the cargo specs are? Let us see, 200,000 tons of raw gem steel. Wow. Well, I guess we better be going. Jop started to put her arm around Loy, but she swatted her hand away. The deck chief looked up and eyed her skeptically. Indeed. Thank you so much for your help. 
The deck chief nodded and silently walked away. When he was out of earshot, Lloyd turned to Jop. I don't know what's more shocking, that this actually worked, or that you almost blew it again with your big mouth. How is that shocking? My big mouth always almost screws things up. <laughs> Fair point. Jop started heading toward the ship's boarding ramp. Just be glad I had that extra set of creds. Yeah, about that. Why do you have a fake ID badge? It's a real badge, it's just not mine. I forgot to renew my license one year, and I swiped that from this other pilot, Fliff. Then I used a halo mixer to change the name and picture. That's kind of a dick move. No, Fliff was the dick. He screwed me out of jobs for years. This was my little way of getting him back. They entered the ship's central housing cabin. There were four beds, two couches, a table, and a large visual entertainment center. Jop gave a flourishing wave. Welcome to our home for the next few spans. Come on, I'll give you a quick tour before we take off. Oh, this ship is gigantic. Uh, don't we leave like in 20 minutes? Jop pointed towards a door behind her. The cargo hold is through there. It makes up like 85% of the rig. See, we're already almost done with the tour. Loy rolled her eyes and followed through another door. Jop pointed to her right. Through that door is the lavatory, and that's the galley. And the control room would be through there. Well, what about those other two doors? One leads to the engine hub. Jop gave a dismissive wave towards the other. And we won't be needing that one. What is it? It's the dinghy. The what? It's the escape pod. You know, if something catastrophic happens and we have to abandon the cargo. It's mainly for lesser skilled pilots. I've never needed it. Loy clasped her hands and made a show of batting her eyelashes. Ooh, my. How impressive. You're hilarious. She giggled and worked her hand around Jop's elbow. Mm, my big, brave pilot. Take me to the stars. The first few days of travel had been relatively uneventful. They hit the first anomaly jump without issue and were now halfway across the Deukon star system. Jop was at the helm, with Loy lounging in the chair to her right. She looked up from the popular gossip feed on her tablet. So, is piloting this ship very different from others you've flown? For the most part, it's the same. It just takes a little extra control when navigating tight spots. Oh, so, where are we again? We're about midway through the Deyukon system. Doesn't the system have a small anomaly cluster? Yep, and unfortunately, none of them take us where we're going, which is at the far end of the system. We have to cross it the old-fashioned way. Well, how far is this cluster? Almost two hours away. Hmm, I think I'm going to take a nap. Jop glanced over, her eyebrow raised suggestively. No, I mean a real nap. <laughs> you can still join me, though. Oh, can't. I need to stay up here for at least another hour or so. Once we're past the debris cloud, I can run autofly for a few hours. Oh, come on. Don't tease me like that. Loy kissed Jop on the cheek and left the control room. It was a little over an hour later when Jop heard a voice from behind her coup. Hey there. She turned around to see Loy wearing considerably less clothing than she had been earlier. She smiled and held up a large blue bottle. Oh, um, care to join me? Your timing is perfect. 
I've got a good six or seven hours until I need to be back up here. She walked over and scrutinized the bottle Loy was holding. This is some nice hooch. What are we celebrating? Oh, you haven't exactly struck me as someone who needs a reason to celebrate. Good point. Jop followed Loy back into the housing cabin, where they plopped down on one of the couches. Two glasses were already waiting for them on the table next to the couch. Loy popped the bottle top and poured an orange liquid into the glasses. She handed one to Jop and then raised the other up high. A toast? A toast to what? Well, about you? You've been so great this whole time. I, I don't deserve you. Nonsense. You totally deserve me. But I am pretty awesome, aren't I? Loy smiled again. If Jop had been a bit more discerning, she might have seen past the smile on her mouth to the sadness in her eyes. But Jop was not the discerning type. So she held her glass aloft and proclaimed, To the best damn pilot in the universe. She downed the glass's contents in a single gulp. She wiped her lips. Mmm, that's some good stuff. Jop noticed that Loy had set her still full glass back on the table. Don't you like it? Loy didn't answer. Then Jop's vision started to get hazy. She blinked a couple times and dizziness washed over her. I think, oh, I think, oh, I think I need to, to. She collapsed back on the couch. Jop's eyes fluttered open to an incessant beeping sound. She scrambled to her feet and scanned her surroundings. Everything was still a little foggy, but she saw a flashing red button, which she assumed was the cause of the infernal beeping. She made for the red light and tripped over some kind of box. After pulling herself back up off the floor, she completed her short trek to the flashing red button and slammed her palm down. Mercifully, the beeping stopped. Her vision started to clear, and she again attempted to assess her environment. She was in a small, unfamiliar control room. She looked down at the console. There was a label next to the formally flashing button. It read, Emergency Beacon. The control room had no doors, only a circular hatch located in the center of the low ceiling. She peered out of the front view screen. She wasn't sure where she was, but she was pretty sure it wasn't the Teyukon system. Her foot touched something, and she looked down. It was a book. She looked closer. It was called The Sentient Coalition Official Intergalactic Travel Manual Escape Pod Edition. The damn dinghy! Jop cursed as she kicked the book. She spun around looking for something else to kick and saw what she'd tripped over. Resting in the middle of the floor was a case of Flanese ale. Lying next to it was a letter. Jop spent the next three hours sitting on the floor working her way through the case's two dozen bottles. Her eyes fell on the shredded remains of the letter. So sorry. Can't understand. And no choice were some of the phrases that looked back up at her. It didn't matter. Every single word of that letter was burned into her brain. She finished the bottle she was holding and reached in the case for another. Her hand came back empty. She kicked the empty box away and struggled to pull herself up. With great effort, she managed to pull herself into the pilot's chair. The screen was ablaze with alerts and warnings. 
the words were beginning to blur, but Jop was able to work out that the pod had drifted into a planet's gravitational pull. She made a feeble attempt to pull up, but it was too late. She was going to crash. In her last moments of lucidity, she saw the name of the planet flash across the screen. She grumbled to herself. What the shit is an Earth? And that concludes Jop's Folly, written by Patrick Edwards. Be sure to check out his audiobook series, Space Trippin', wherever you get audiobooks, paperbacks, ebooks, you know. Jop was voice acted by Dr. Michelle Booz. Loy was voice acted by Cindy Stevens. The deck chief was Van Riker. The uniformed attendant and Nath the thug were both voice acted by Augie Peterson. Be sure to look her up on Augie Peterson Writes. The tall woman at the bar was my wife, Rosanna Jimeno. Your narrator, Yerf the Thug. The male bartender, production and music, sound effects were by myself, Daniel French. And that concludes this ride on the chronosphere. Until we meet again, Keep your cosmos clean. And that's this week's show. Please return with us next week for more amazing audio drama and Jack Ward. So until then, and for Jack, I'm David Ott. Have a great day. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020.